0: Welcome to Healing Lives with Corey Gilbert, a podcast sponsored by the Healing Lives Center. Discover how to love and lead your family well and biblically. God created sex, marriage, and the family for our stewardship, growth, and benefit. My heart and passion is to teach, train, educate, and disciple Christians that want strong marriages and families. The Healing Lives Center has been serving Christians since the year 2000. Its mission is to be a center for sex, trauma, and marriage education and transformation where we offer counseling, coaching, courses, and speaking services to you, your church, or ministry. Check us out at HealingLives.com. ChurchMentalHealthSummit.com. Check that out. ChurchMentalHealthSummit.com. In October of 2022, I was able to speak at the Church Mental Health Summit and was such an honor to be a part of an incredible lineup of, of incredible speakers. Um, my presentation was on a biblical sexual ethic and why it matters. Um, here it is. The truth is, is who our teachers are matter, who speaks into our life matter. So I'm so glad that you're actually wanting to spend this time, these these few moments to focus in on what a biblical sexual ethic is, why it matters, and why as parents and as churches, we need to speak into this and lead our children and our families well. The truth is, is so many parents want to, they don't know how, and so many people in the church um, feel ill-equipped and feel ill-prepared and so that's that's what I have spent my whole adult life teaching and doing and talking about my name is Dr. Corey Gilbert I'm a professor at a university in, in Oregon Corbin University counselor um, creator of this the center for um, or the, the healing life center uh, healinglives.com is website um, but I teach and speak on this stuff and love um, investing in families and working with families and and working with college students which is what I've done most of my adult life. And so the truth is we're going to talk about sex. Um, We're going to do it in a way that's very, very um, redemptive. And the first part is we're going to look at scripture. So today that's really the biggest thing I want us to do. And I've got tons of other stuff um, on YouTube and other places that you can go to and podcast. But to think about things first, Preston Sprinkle said this comment, people of faith who navigate or are navigating gender identity issues are our people. We must start here. The truth is, is, you don't know what others are struggling with. We make assumptions, and we uh, make judgments, if you will. Um, just a little bit about myself. I actually am a missionary kid. Grew up in Temuco, Chile. I'm, um, grew up, that was my home. That was my world. Um, came to America in 1992 and um, moved, you know, came here for high, senior high school and then college. But this is who I was back in that 20, 92, 93. Pink and purple and everything else that you could think of was me. Um, and I really struggled with knowing who I was and how I fit in. And I fear that if I were in the struggle or lived that way today, I would be pegged in a very different light. I would be identified and or pushed to either change genders or have different attractions and be challenged on that. And instead, um, because those conversations were happening then, I was able to navigate through that and, and move on to an amazing adult life where my life makes much more sense. This is me today. I'm riding my Harley. I added nice pipes to it in the back. and But the most important thing is um, 19 plus years ago, my wife and I met and married. And what really was really cool about that is she's the thinker. She's the analytical one. I'm the emotional one. And all of a sudden, my life made sense. It, it wasn't that I was broken or messed up or just so different, and then when you have, uh, you get married uh, many times. The way that God designed this is, then you have kids, and they became three uh, incredible blessings. because um, we thought we couldn't have kids because of health issues, and our children uh, have changed us. They've they've challenged us, but they've also led me more into how important it is, how important it is to build a biblical worldview of sex and gender. It's um, so important. So our talk today is a biblical sexual ethic and why it matters. Um, the, the thing that I did or what I did about 14 years after finishing my dissertation, because I was at home with my, or, you know, raising kids and, and focusing there, was my book for parents on, I called I Can't Say That, going beyond the talk, equipping your children to make choices about sexuality and gender from a biblical sexual ethic, and then the workbook. And then a couple years later, wrote the book for kids for teens to hand to them. And it's basically, I want them to have a foundation of how to know how to navigate these things from a biblical worldview. So where do we start as parents? We need to start, whether it's in this book or hanging this other book for your teen, looking at the created order. And the truth is, is God created us in a certain way with a certain design. Um, but then there's also disorder. The truth is, is, we also live in a broken world. And we need to look at the created order. And the fact that there's disorder, there's things that are out of order, and actually try to figure out what that looks like when it comes to you, you and me, and, and how we see ourselves. And so in looking at this created order, um, what is this, this? what are the scriptures we can lean on and stand on and look at God's perfect design? So in the, the created order, Genesis 127, so God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. This is where it starts. God created Adam. And in the garden, Adam had perfect communion with God. He walked the garden. He worked the garden. And so another really important piece was work was a part of the beginning before the fall. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden and to work it and to take care of it. Work is not a curse. It became harder, but it's part of who we are. And then he had Adam name the animals, and he had them realize that there's none like you, and he made woman. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. But think about that. He was in perfect communion with God, and yet still had a void, still had a need. Uh, Again, pre-fall, which is important. And so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds and the sky, and all the wild animals, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. And the man said when he saw the woman, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. He shall be called Wow Man. So cool, for she was taken out of man. And then in creating male and female, that's where marriage came from. Marriage is not a social construct. It is not from our culture. This is from the design, the created order. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. The most critical piece of this in terms of the design is it is two sexually different people. It is not any other combination thereof polyamory, polygamy, anything else. It is two sexually different people in terms of God's created order. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. What a beautiful picture um, that is. Something that we don't really know of no shame. And then in the creation of marriage, children, as you saw in the pictures from myself earlier. Proverbs 17.6, children's children are a crown to the age, and parents are the pride of their children. Procreation is meant to be a part of the design of husband and wife, man and woman, coming together in marriage and creating a family. But we have a problem. It's disorder. In the disorder, what, what went wrong? Well, sin. Sin entered the picture. In sin, Genesis 3, 6, 7 the, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for, for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was standing right there with her, who, and he ate it as well. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they got what they wanted. They found the wisdom. They found the knowledge, and they realized they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And here's where, when centered the picture, the first thing we did was blame. Oh, Adam, Adam, Adam. The man said, "The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it." Now here's where the fails come from. First, the helper fail. Eve. We tend to blame Eve in terms of some of this, but careful with that. Genesis 3:16 to the woman he said, "I will make you pains in childbearing, very severe." With painful labor, you will give birth to your children, and your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. There's an order here that was put in place um, that's one that we've actually spent the rest of our life fighting, if you will. Eve was created to be the helper, and she failed. And This is going to be hard, but Adam failed as well. He failed in his leadership. He was the one that was given the commands by God, and he failed to lead his wife in that moment of temptation um, when they took the fruit to adam he said because you listened to your wife and you ate the fruit from the tree about which i commanded you you must not eat from it cursed is the ground because of you through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life it will produce thorns and thistles for you and you'll eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken for dust you are and to dust you will return man will struggle with and return to earth and women Woman will have pain in childbirth and struggle with man. This is the cause of sin, because of sin. We have a created order, then we have disorder, but then what about us? Where do we wrestle with some of this stuff as we play this out? The areas that I spend my time on and I think are important to speak to families on is in the areas of gender and sexuality. In Psalm 139, You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. You were you and I were known from conception, not um, once we were breathing and were able to do math problems or something like that whenever we want to call a personhood or person, from personhood theory. Um, this is so critical. I praise you because I made you I, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Do we know that? Do we believe that our gender, our sexuality, our bodies, and all of its good things that work and the things that don't work and all of that as well. What are we to do with these pieces that aren't fitting into the created order? Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual liberality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Well, one of the areas that I see us playing this out really in an interesting way in our culture is that in the area of attraction and desires. How, we're, how we play this out, flesh this out. Look at Galatians here. It says, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. You see this list here. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. We need to be careful about how much data or how much weight we give to the data of attraction and desires. You and I are bent certain ways, but that doesn't mean they're right that it means they're healthy, that it means they're good, and it does not mean they're ordained by God. That's all of us can point, and point areas in our life where we need help, we need intervention, we need God's leading, or we need to die to it. Why? Because Galatians 5.22, but The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. And a couple verses later, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. The truth is, is we are self-centered bent. Philippians 2, 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourselves. This is how we were meant to be. And this verse, not self-centered bent. Um, We are self-centered bent. We are about ourselves and we are not living and or sometimes feel it seem appealing, the self created order, uh, because of the disorder. Now I want to pause a little bit and think about this from another lens. Look at this, and you've probably seen this, the gender-bred person. We have gender and we have sexuality and all that kind of parceled out into multiple categories of identity and expression, your biology, and then what you're attracted to sexually and what you're attracted to romantically. Now, to zero in on these three right here, I understand the parsing out of gender identity and to see that there's more, more womanness from manness of people. I get that personally. I, I felt that myself. Um, I'm more the girl in my marriage. And my wife's more the guy in the marriage in one area of the traditional male-female things. In the end, I am so the male and she is so the female, and there's a beauty in that when we actually understand God's design, that God made me male, why I go to the biological sex. And I played that out and made my wife the female biological sex. But how she and I express that are very different than other couples and other people. And so the expression's different. And that's okay. This is good. But what I'm actually worried about where we're at in our culture is we're allowing in conversation with our kids and teens, gender identity to basically be narcissism fleshing out, a playing out of something much more dangerous, if you will. Um, Now, looking at sexually attracted to versus romantically attracted to. um, These play out different. They're, They're different. But a lot of what I hear from even college students and high school students is, what's the difference? Well, sexually attracted to is more of the debase, like just whoever's hot versus those that I want to invest in romantically attracted to. That's just one way to think about it. We could probably come up with other ways to think about this. But to me, attraction is actually unhealthy. It's bad data. It's not the piece that, that takes a relationship long term. So we've actually then created this, the LGBTQIA plus, um, world that is actually very much focused on identity, identity politics, but also um, like things I'm going to stand on and fight for. Why? Especially when, since we moved into the fluidity of this. Now the truth, going back to the created order, is marriage is between two sexually different people. There is no other combination. God does not endorse any other um, uh, design, if you will. It is male and female together for life. But then you ask, well in, in the Bible it was full of polygamy and polyamory, exactly. And God came in and said, no, husbands love your wives and Christ loved the church um husbands your bodies aren't yours they're your wives wives yours aren't yours it's your husband's but remember it was in a culture where men were in charge women were property and men had sex with anyone they wanted all the time it was disgustingly perverted and christianity came in to say whoa i raised the bar this is unhealthy this is not the best for you not at all what i designed again the created order so then i look at like sexual identity and attractions, and again, the words that come to my mind is these are bad data. We need to be careful with what we use to evaluate who we are. Now, one of the letters in here that, that's kind of stood out a lot more recently is this T, the transgender. Um, what I'm hearing from high school students especially is it is no longer cool to be gay or lesbian. It's it's just cool to be trans. And so that's growing because of the coolness or the uh, they get to be in a certain class Versus over here of all those other normal people or weird people who are rejecting us. Again, they stand out. But what's the truth? We all want to be seen, to be known, and belong. And that's what we're looking at. That's what our kids are looking for. It's what our teens are looking for, to be seen, to be known, and to belong. Now, one of the ways that I've understood this and it's helped me see how complicated this is, is our, our young people are struggling and it's much more complicated than you are or you are not your house came up with this model to really think about this is that there's a lot of pieces at play six parts your intention your biological sex your gender identity your persistence and direction of attractions your volition or behaviors and your values if you think of it as a pie chart you realize that if you kind of sat someone down and had them think through this many would look at their biological sex as a bigger piece of the pie and go, you know what, that tells me a lot of who I am. Others, the values, your values would be really strong. But for others, it's their identity, their gender identity, or the persistence of attraction, or the experiences they've had, their behaviors, which now feeds into an understanding of how this can be really important to help someone understand themselves. But we need to be careful who's teaching our kids, because someone's going to teach them about gender and identity and what's right or wrong doesn't mean they're going to be teaching or leading them in the healthy direction or one that's God-honoring or one that that's, says you were fearfully and wonderfully made. Now look at this construct, too, of this picture. Um, the statement, sex is my right. And think of how our culture seems to scream that. Well, proponents of this view conclude that this authority is that of their own experience or intuition, their own sense of inner rightness. And right there, I actually pause and I go, wait a minute. I know myself. I don't trust my own experience, my intuition, or my sense of inner rightness because I know that I'm self-centered and I'm bent. Well, they they take that as a foundation and then look at these three statements. God has made me and therefore made the desires I have. Eee, careful there. Everything God makes is good and therefore my desires are good. Ooh, now we're even more slippery. And then the third one, good desires deserve to be and even ought to be fulfilled. Now, what's the problem here? The problem is every single one of those points are false. The first one we kind of hear and go, I'm not quite sure, but maybe something's weird, but then it gets worse. But the truth is, is, the foundation of it being based off my inner sense of rightness, my own experience, intuition, we're in trouble. That is not the foundation we need to lean on. It needs to be on God's word. What does the Bible say? What is the design, the created order? Because where we're at in our culture is one where the messages that our kids are getting and even us as parents is there isn't just tolerance, it isn't acceptance anymore, it isn't celebration, it's participation. If you don't wear flags and if you don't celebrate me with whatever I identify as, then you do not love me. And that is terrifying. Another quote from Preston Sprinkle that really stood out to me was this one. We need to create safe spaces where young people can open up, be heard, receive godly wisdom, and learn about God's expansive vision for what it means to be male and female. So where are these spaces going to be? They need to be in our homes. They need to be when other friends come over and we talk about these things with them. They need to be in the church. But the truth is, is not everybody in our homes or churches can be trusted to give a biblical worldview, which is why I teach what I do and speak on what I speak on. Because we need to be using the Bible as our foundation. Why? People of faith who are navigating gender identity issues are our people. This isn't them, those people over there. These are our brothers and sisters and moms and dads and of all ages and shapes and sizes that we need to learn to love and draw them to the cross draw them to repentance draw them to healthy decisions and when they're in in unhealthy places love them anyway but love them towards health and growth because the truth is is we want to be seen we want to be known and we want to belong now another little turn here Uh, have you ever heard of this the map person what is that it's the minor attracted persons this is the, the politically correct way to say pedophile. But it's not really just pedophile because we want to – those are maybe the ones that have done something. But what about those who are minor attracted but they haven't? We're just trying to make something that is downright sinful palatable. It's fitting into the, the, the rhetoric of homosexuality, gay marriage, um, trans, on all these things that are actually not of God's design. Why are we so okay with these things in our culture in so many ways and even among Christians – because we've bought into the idea that it's all about just whatever makes you happy and that your body can be separate from your your person and we get it then we start accepting abortion and infanticide and euthanasia and all these are connected and sex outside of marriage is just normal why because my body is disposable where scripture very much says that is not true polyamory is another one where it's not three, two people, it's three people, five, seven. It doesn't matter the number, but this mixture of, of different relationships that are all some sexual, some are not, um, but they live together, do life together. Why? We're trying to reinvent the wheel. We're actually back to when Scripture and the Christianity came into the world and said, whoa, wait a minute, I raised the bar. And that's why we need to be talking to our kids about maps and polyamory and about all these issues and help them be prepared for what they're hearing at school or facing online and everywhere else. This word polyamory came up on America's Got Talent recently, um, where a guy was doing something. I can't remember what he's even doing his talent, but he was like, oh, there's my wife and my girlfriend sitting over there. We're polyamorous. And the whole place clapped because um, everything has to be accepted and celebrated. Um, and remember back to what I said it's and participated in. Which is actually kind of scary to think about that now one of the areas that i'm seeing our teens get lost is online peers we need to be careful whom you allow to influence your you and your kids so we need to really be careful of who we allow into the living room into the bedrooms of our house the thing is they're not literally walking in there they're coming in online And they're affecting our children and ourselves and our phones, through our phones, through our TVs in a way we need to actually decide boundaries. And I don't mean get rid of TVs and get rid of everything. I don't mean that at all. I mean steward them, have conversations consistently with the boundaries of what those look like. Because we are losing our sons and daughters. And one of the ways we're losing our daughters is to Instagram um, and to comparison. That's a big one for women, for young girls. But for boys, it's porn. It's porn and it's excessive video game play and absent fathers. These three are the main ones that Zimbardo have actually identified as how we're losing our sons, losing our boys. We need to address these issues consistently. Again, video games are great, but it's excessive when they actually choose that over real people. The fact that absent fathers is such a norm is impacting our society greatly. But I'm gonna add a few more to that. That list of three. Another one is irresponsibility, skillless, don't know how to do anything, and social media. We have a problem. So thinking of this created order and disorder, what should I do? What, what must I do? How do I rede- find redemption? How do I grow? How do I do a better job with this personally and then also teach my, my kids well? It's surrender. We don't like that word. What is Surrender. The only way that for relationships to work is service. It's putting another above myself. We must go here and do this to successfully see brokenness and see change and see growth and see people focusing on others versus themselves and learning to die to my self-centeredness and learning to work and live in community. So how do I live with others with a different worldview? How do I teach my kids whose friends are... Have different worldviews. What do I do when my own kids do? What if my spouse does? Well, look at this, these few passages here. Just kind of let's plan ourselves on this one. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. That's where we start. Flee the evil desires. We don't go there. We don't indulge in these things, and we have actions to do. But then it says, "Don't have anything to do with Facebook, foolish and stupid arguments." So hear that. Stay out of it. Stop the fighting because you know they produce quarrels. But it doesn't start there or it doesn't stop there. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach and not resentful. And I think that's interesting. Able to teach. We are not to be silent either. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses Really important, in escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. So where are others at? They are taken captive by the devil. We are to instruct, but the Holy Spirit does the work. We are not to be silent, but we are not to get into fights. So, so important here. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Colossians 3, 12. We have a choice. We can either be a redemptive voice, um, and we can do it in this other way, the way that's actually not a healthy one. Beha- help, have people behave first, then believe, then belong. That's a lot of churches. That's a in comp- the competing message, and the one that I want us to think about, is or we can actually invite them into belonging first, then coming into a relationship with Christ and believing and becoming That's what we actually want. We do not want the other one. We want to be somewhere, um, that safe place that people can have conversations, but it's coming from a biblical worldview. Now let me kind of wrap up with just a little bit more that I want you to think about as I think about different age groups. What needs to be heard about a biblical sexual ethic and why it matters? For kids, you need to know that you were designed male or female with a purpose. And you need to be kind to those that are different than you. And you need to be full of grace. Grace. We need to teach this and model this for our kids. Teenagers, stand strong in your beliefs and convictions. Be a leader in biblical living. Be kind. Be an example. These are so important for you as teens to not just be go with the crowd or go with the flow, but to actually stand out as different because you stand strong on your, your convictions. Single adults, you need community. It's your lifeblood. You also need to live a life on mission with a vision and I want you to have high expectations about who you would ever settle down with and marry. You're not meant to do this alone. You're meant to have a bigger vision for yourself and for your life. But high, have high expectations for who you'd marry. If you're married, this is for you. Be all in for your partner. You should be their biggest fan and their best friend. You ought to be best friends. You need to hurt together. You need to grieve together. Give freely and teach and lead your children intentionally. Be intentional about leading and teaching them a biblical worldview of gender, of sexuality, finances, drugs, everything. But I'm focusing on this one for now. Widowed and single again. Community as well is critical. You are called to be an example. And your life needs needs to and ought to be a life of service. So important. The number one priority is the long game biblically. What does that look like? You need to know your theology and beliefs. You need to live ordered, not disordered. You need to thrive in community to be an example and be patient. And what I mean, what I mean, be patient. It's the long game of loving a person no matter where they're at towards a, a relationship with Christ, a vibrant relationship with one. That is biblical love. It is not tolerating or putting up with, or celebrating, or participating in whatever it is um, that's being pushed—kind um, of the flavor of the day—it um, is actually ha- having a higher standard. Romans one says, therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. It's so sad. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator is forever praised amen because of this god gave them over to shameful lust i hope you hear that and realize that you and i both could be there that that's not where we hopefully want to be i don't want to be given over to my desires i want lord lord i want you to to put your desires in me for something greater although they know god's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death they not only continue to do these things but they also approve of those who practice them So don't be someone that approves. Be someone that actually leads to a stronger sexual ethic and raises the bar. That's what biblical love is. Lead by example. Teach and train a biblical worldview. Engage in difficult relationships. Get help if you need it. Play the long game because people of faith who are navigating gender identity issues are our people. And I thank you for listening to this. If you want more information, HealingLives.com. Um, These are my two resources that I've put together, and I've got a YouTube channel, links here at the QR Code um, podcast and other stuff I invest in you because I want you to do this well and to be successful at loving and leading your children into a healthy, godly, beautiful relationship. So thank you. Bless you. Um, do, Do well. Go do this. Blessings. Thank you for tuning in to the Healing Lives with Corey Gilbert podcast. It has been an honor to serve. If you are struggling, have questions, or in need, Dr. Gilbert offers a free consultation for new clients. Check us out at healinglives.com to book a call. If this has been helpful to you, please share it, leave a review, and help us get the word out so that we can see lives changed, marriages transformed, and more people come into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. The Healing Lives Center offers online courses, programs, books, intensives, and other services to help you live biblically and well. Discover more resources on YouTube and in Dr. Gilbert's Healing Marriage Facebook group, The Healing Marriage.